Well, hey, everybody. Thank you for joining us today. Let me start off by giving an update on opening our campus back up for weekend services. With every decision that we make, I think about the three groups of people in our church. There's a third of you who are super strict about staying at home and social distancing. There's another third of you who are starting to get out, but you're very cautious. And then there's a third of you who feel like this whole thing has been blown out of proportion and we should have never stopped meeting in the first place. So I realize with every decision I make, a third of our people strongly disagree with our decision and another third will be disappointed by it. When I was in seminary, I must have skipped the day where we talked about leading through a global pandemic. But here's the latest info of what's happening here. Some of our care groups and life groups have already begun meeting on our campus again. As we enter the next phase, our larger groups like Celebrate Recovery and Young Adults will begin meeting. And we anticipate being able to welcome you back for weekend services at our locations again soon. Our current plan is to have a soft opening on July 26th to train all of our volunteers on the new safety protocols and systems that will allow us to safely begin worship services on our campuses at the beginning of August. Now, that's our current plan, but as you know, plans change. So we'll just remain flexible during this time. I can't wait until we can meet together again. I believe that gathering together as a church family is essential for our spiritual growth. Until then, thank you for your prayers as we navigate this time together, and thank you for your continued generosity, which allows us to keep meeting the needs of our community around us. Well, let me take you back to January 1st, 2020. Doesn't that just seem like a lifetime ago? There is something exciting about beginning a new year closing the chapter on whatever struggles you had the year before and making new resolutions for who you want to be in the coming year. Well, we could have never foreseen what would happen since then. No one would have ever guessed that the world would shut down, including schools and sports, that we'd be looking at a 60-game baseball season. No one would have predicted the worst unemployment since the Great Depression. And no one could have seen the racial tensions and the civil unrest. It feels like everything in our country has shifted, doesn't it? At the beginning of the year, we did a series called The Separation of Church and Hate. I knew that this would be perhaps the most polarizing election of our lifetime. And I wanted to prepare our church for that. However, I feel like that all of that just got lost with our present reality. I've had churches all over the country ask me for the content of that series because that's what we're going through as a country. And a few weeks ago, I began to pray about what we needed to hear. And I just felt, to, felt led to revisit these topics in our church. I had written a completely different series that I was going to start today. But we decided to pivot away from that series for right now. I plan to come back to that series later this fall. But today, 
I want to talk about civility. Civility. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, and we're on different political views and have different social views, but both of us love Jesus, and both of us would tell you that our faith guides our convictions. We had a long conversation sharing why we see things the way that we do. And both of us would tell you that it was just a refreshing conversation. I respected his viewpoint, and he respected mine. And both of us, we were trying to learn from each other. When we got off the phone, both of us just thanked each other for just hearing us out. Unfortunately, that kind of conversation, it is rare. In the past, we could respectfully disagree with someone. But now there is so much anger and it's just boiling underneath the surface that we have lost the art of civility. I want to show you a portion of that message from the beginning of the year. And it comes from James, the brother of Jesus. And in his book, which is really just a letter that he wrote to the Christians, James gives us a picture of how a follower of Jesus should respond in this environment. And I believe that his words can give us the way forward for our time and enjoy my jersey. Here's what he says, James chapter 1, verse 19. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this, that everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. That when you're in conflict or having an argument or a difficult conversation, our ears stop listening and our minds start shutting down and our hearts get hard. And so James says, if we're going to produce the righteousness that God desires, we have to change the way we respond. He says that everyone, everyone should be quick to listen. We should be quick to listen. We have completely forgotten how to listen because most of us, we are so quick to speak and we're slow to listen. And James says, your first priority, the way that this all comes together, your first priority is to be quick to listen, which is exactly what we want other people to do for us. The problem is whenever we are having an argument, whenever we're having a discussion, we are thinking uh, uh, the whole time about how we're going to respond as soon as they take a breath. You know, as soon as there's a break, I'm going to respond here that we're not listening anymore. We fail to listen. See, here's the thing about conflict is we both want the same thing. We want exactly what the person that we're having a conflict wants. Both parties want to be heard and understood. I want you to be quick to listen and slow to speak. And you want me to be quick to listen and slow to speak. I don't want you to argue with me. I just want you to hear me. After all, I can't really hear you until I feel like you have heard me. And you can't hear me until you feel like I have heard you. So we listen to people who don't experience the world the way that we do. 
that you begin to listen to people that don't experience the world the way that you do. See, we all have our biases. Everybody in here, we have our biases. That they are based on your background. They're based on the way that you grew up. They're based on the experiences that you have had in the past. We all have biases that have shaped us. A few years ago, when we had several officer-involved shootings, and then police being targeted and gunned down in Dallas, the racial tension in our country was sky high, and I knew we needed to talk about it. And so I asked a friend of mine who is a, a captain for Metro to come, and I also asked a friend of mine who is an African-American pastor in Brooklyn, one of our partner churches that we helped start. I asked him to come so we could have this conversation together. And the night before, we all went out to dinner, and as we're, we're having dinner together, we're just talking about our experiences. We're just talking about what we grew up with, how it was growing up. And Brandon, the African-American pastor, our, our pastor, he was just telling about his experiences, his experiences of, of being targeted because of the color of his skin. He said that when his dad taught him how to drive, his dad told him that if you ever get pulled over, here's what you need to do so that you don't start an incident so nothing happens to you. Well, that didn't happen to me. That when my dad taught me how to drive, he's like, oh, yeah, if you get pulled over, just pull over. You know, I mean, that's all you have to do. I didn't have that experience. And then our metro captain was talking about his experiences. He was talking about his experiences of going into a situation when his life is in danger and making a split-second decision. See, I've never had to deal with any of those things in my life. Listen to people who don't experience the world the way that you do. Listen to their story. Listen to their experiences. Listen to why they believe what they believe. Listen to people who are different than you are. See, we are so often to be quick to speak because we just want to just give them our mind. We want to tell them what we think. And James says, no, no, no. That you be, you be quick to listen and slow to speak. And this is the second part. That we be slow to speak. Literally, this means be late. That when you're talking, you be late to speak. This was my father-in-law. My father-in-law is just a brilliant man. He was the senior vice president of a Fortune 500 company. And he always thought about his words very carefully, that he would think those through before he would talk. But he would be so late in talking, it would be awkward. I would want to talk for him. I, I just want to just kind of just go, okay, let me just tell you what he's thinking right now. Well, see, that's the idea of this Verse right here, that's the idea, that you be late to speak. And I would add, if you have to say something, ask a question. Because the minute I start speaking, I stop listening, which means I stop learning. Now, I'm going to say something that seems so obvious that you might miss it. But I think it's profound. I think it's a deep thing that will help us understand each other. It's this is that everybody's behavior makes perfect sense to them. Everybody's behavior makes perfect sense to them. Your behavior makes perfect sense to you. Whenever you're dealing with an experience, whenever something is going on, the way that you react makes perfect sense to you. You don't need to explain it because 
This just makes sense to you. Everybody's behavior makes perfect sense to them. And everybody's response makes perfect sense to them. Everybody's viewpoint makes perfect sense to them. And everybody's politics make perfect sense to them. When we don't understand, it's because we don't understand. And when you hear yourself saying, I don't know why they would do that. I don't know why they would think that. I don't know why they would believe that. I don't know why they would say that. You've just made a confession. There is something that you don't understand. So it's time for you to listen so that you can understand. To have a conversation with someone who is not like you. Now the problem with social media is, okay, now, there's a lot of problems with social media, but one of the problems with social media is the algorithms, that when you click on a news article on Facebook, it is designed that the, that the feed will send you more stories just like that. And the more that you read those stories, the narrower it gets. And it is designed to reinforce what you already believe. In marriage counseling, if you're having problems with communication, one of the things that the marriage counselor might do is to have you repeat what you've just heard so that you can know that I am getting this. You know, what I heard you say is this. You know, what I heard you say is that I look fat in these jeans. No, what I said was you ought to buy new jeans. That's all I said. See, you need to seek to be understood. You become a student and not a critic. Be quick to listen, slow to speak. And then he says this, slow to become angry. Slow to become angry. See, this is both a result and a decision. If you are quick to listen and slow to speak, you are less likely to be angry, and it is easier to guard against becoming angry. We all express anger in different ways. I mean, some of you blow up and some of you clam up. For those of you who blow up, you feel so much better after you do that. Now, nobody else does, but you do. You're like, oh, man, I just feel so much better. I got that off my chest. Everybody else is kind of cleaning up after you, you know. But if you clam up, then what you do is you sulk around the house until somebody says, what's wrong? What's wrong? so that you can answer nothing. <laughs> and it's your way of gaining control of that situation. Remember, anger in and of itself is not a sin. Jesus got angry. The Apostle Paul says, in your anger, do not sin. It is how you respond to your anger that it becomes a sin. And James gives us a formula that the longer you listen, the more you'll learn, the less angry you will be. The longer you listen, the more you'll learn, the less angry you will be. And now James is going to give us the reason why. James says, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. He's talking about human anger. He's not talking about righteous anger. Jesus had righteous anger. See, Jesus got angry with the religious leaders who used their religion to mistreat people. They used it as an excuse to mistreat people. That's righteous anger. But human anger is completely different. 
Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires for you and for me. And there's three agendas. There's always three agendas. There's your agenda, there's their agenda, and there's God's agenda. That my anger produces what I desire. Because I think I'm right and I want you to know that I'm right. See, when your anger produces only what you desire, it goes against what God desires. So James says, therefore, because of all of this, therefore, get rid of all moral filth. Now, the meaning of this word moral filth means to dishonor. It means to dishonor somebody. So here's what happens in a lot of our conversations is that you get so heated over a moral issue that you dishonor them in the way that you respond. And that is a moral issue. It's dishonoring to them. And what James says is, get rid of that. You don't have to be right. You don't have to prove to everybody you're right. Get rid of all moral filth and the evil. Now, another word, this could also be translated malice. Malice is the desire to get back. Malice is the desire to get even. That's what malice is. He says, get rid of all moral filth when you're dishonoring people. Get rid of that and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. It comes through humility. Lee's gonna talk about humility in a couple weeks, how we respond with humility. See, it doesn't mean This doesn't mean that you give up your political convictions. This means that you hold them with humility instead of holding them like a baseball bat that you beat other people with. Humility says that we are more important than me. That's what humility says. And here he he responds. He goes, we humbly accept the word planted in us. The word planted in us. You're a follower of Jesus. That the word of Christ is planted in you. He is your greatest loyalty. Remember who you belong to. That you belong to Jesus. So with all of that as a backdrop, let me ask this question again. Are you willing to put your faith filter ahead of your political filter? Most Americans create a version of faith that supports their politics. See, this is why this is so emotional for us. And while this series is not intended to get you to change your political party or your political view, this series is intended to change the way that we respond to one another in this political environment. That your political candidate will win or lose based on how the citizens of our country vote in November. However, the church will win or lose based on how we treat one another. That's a higher calling. So how does a follower of Jesus respond with civility? To disagree respectfully. See, when you win an argument, you don't win anything. You have burned a bridge and given up on a relationship because you have to be right. You want to be right at each other, and God wants you to be right with each other. Almost every conversion story in the Bible, almost every time somebody came to Christ in the Bible, begins with some kind of a civil conversation. Think about the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 17, he went to the city of Athens. 
And the Apostle Paul didn't say when he arrived in Athens, you are so stupid, you have so many false idols, you've run out of names for them. You even have a false idol that doesn't have a name. He doesn't say that. What he says is, I see that you're very religious. And you even have an altar to an unknown God. Let me tell you about that unknown God. We have to begin to engage in civil conversations if we're going to reach this world for Jesus. We are not going to reach this world through obnoxious Facebook posts. So stop it. We need to get rid of that. We just need to get rid of that. So let me give you four questions to ask yourself as you're responding. Four questions that can kind of become this filter for you if you're going to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Here's this first one. Is what I'm going to say true? Now, we, use, we all use hyperbole to make our point. We all do. I mean, I, I can say, you know, the Chiefs are the greatest team of all time. You know, we use hyperbole. But then we begin to take that into these normal discussions. All Democrats are, Republicans don't care about. And so it's beginning to ask yourself, and what I am about to say, is it true? That's question number one. Question number two is, what I'm going to say, is it helpful? Just because something is true does not mean it's helpful. Gossip might be true, but it's not helpful. What is my purpose? Is my purpose to win the argument? Is my purpose to prove you wrong? The Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, he says that what should come out of our mouth should be what is helpful for building others up. That's what we should talk about. It should be things that are helpful for building others up. And what I'm about to say, is it helpful? Here's the third thing. Is what I'm going to say personal? See, we can discuss ideas without attacking character. We can discuss ideas without making it personal. You don't have social media debates about something personal. You do that over coffee. That you go and you do that face-to-face. See, when someone makes a discussion personal, I unfollow them. I block them. Whether it's personal towards me or not, I'm just like, I don't need that. I am just going to unfollow you. Words matter. Words matter. Is is what I'm going to say, is it personal? Am I attacking someone's character? Then here's this last one. Is what I'm going to say loving? Is it loving? If you're going to say loving, then you wouldn't say something that is untrue, unhelpful, or personal. You pause before you hit sin. Just pause. Pause before you post. And ask the question, does this represent Jesus? Because that's our mandate. We're followers of Jesus. Jesus said, all people will know you are my disciples by the way that you love one another. That I want you to love one another the way that I have loved you, that's the way you love one another. So is what I'm about to say, is it loving? Does it represent the love of Jesus? So this becomes our filter. Is what I'm going to say, is it true? Is it helpful? Is it personal? Is it loving? And if it's not, then we need to say, okay, I need to reword this. I love what author Frederick Buchner says. That he says this, he says, although kindness is not the same thing as holiness, 
it's awfully close. I think this is so true. It's learning kindness in our culture. Learning to be kind. Here is the goal for us. To disagree politically and love unconditionally. What if we could begin to do that? What if we begin to look for an opportunity to love unconditionally someone with whom you disagree politically? Maybe you say, I don't even know anybody that I disagree with politically. That's a problem. Would you become a student and not a critic? One of the guiding principles for my life in this area it comes out of Romans chapter 12. Matter of fact, this is a verse that I used to quote to my kids all the time. They can tell you that this is a verse that they grew up hearing in our household. Here's what the Apostle Paul writes. He says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Listen, it may not be possible to live at peace. But the Apostle Paul says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you. So as far as it depends on you, we live at peace. That we must be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And when we begin to do that, that changes the conversation, that changes the way that we see people, and that changes how the world sees the church. Let me just pray with you right now. God, we just come to you and, and we're in a season of our country where we have lost the art of civility. There is so much anger and so many things that people say. God, and I pray that as a follower of Jesus, that we would just be reminded that you call us to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, to seek peace with the people around us. So God, would you just do a work in us? And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.